Welcome to Redeemer's Church Weekly Message Podcast, where our mission is simple. We are a church that is passionate about loving God and loving people. And now, we hope you enjoy this week's message by Pastor Dwight Bennett. So in John chapter 7, there's an interesting story through this chapter. And it bleeds into uh, Jesus saying something that's going to show us how important the Holy Spirit is in our lives at this very moment. You have to realize that up to this point, the Holy Spirit was with people in the Old Testament and it was being teased into the New Testament. We didn't know exactly what that was going to look like, exactly how that was going to go. But we do know this, that put your finger there. In John chapter 15, at 14, 15, and 16, that Jesus talks about this Holy Spirit and what's going to arise from it. In John 14, 17, it says, The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. Father, give us eyes to see your Holy Spirit. Uh, but you know him, for he dwells with you. Now, here's, the, here's Jesus' is, is teaching. He dwells with you, and that's the way the Holy Spirit was in the Old Testament. And then he adds this, and will be in you. This is the key. He, he, he was with you, but now he will be in you. Wow, this is crazy. This is crazy. Now, look at John chapter 16. Okay, John chapter 16. And verse, starting in verse 5, I'm not going to do that. I know, don't worry about it, Corinne. This is an extra. This just came through the, through the worship this morning. Corinne's back there like, he did not give me one of these scriptures. <laughs> Welcome to working with me in the back there. Hallelujah. So in John 16, it talks about, but now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? Okay, so, and then Jesus is saying some things, and he says in verse 12, he says this, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now, because there is a revelation that can be received at the time the revelation is to be given. And if you receive a revelation from something before your time to receive it, it's all it is is as empty words. But when the time comes for the revelation to be received and you receive it, it transforms who you are. And this is what Jesus is saying. First of all, he says, the Holy Spirit is with you and it will come and dwell in you. And then in 16 it says, however, everyone say however. However, however when he... The spirit of truth has come, has come because it's, it's in a future tense here still. He will what? Guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you what? The things to come. This spirit that's going to dwell in you is going to be like your GPS system that is on your phone. And when you plug in the information into your system, then it guides you exactly to the place in the future that you need to be. And in our spiritual walk with God, when we are plugged into the Holy Spirit, 
There is something built inside of us that's leading us to that place of our ultimate destiny of what God has called us to do. And it is the most amazing thing that can ever happen to a believer. The infilling of the Holy Spirit is the transformational part of your salvation that guides you not only into your future, but into the security of who you're going to live with forever. Because the Bible says the Holy Spirit seals us unto salvation. See, when Jesus said he's leaving and when he says, I'm going to uh, leave you an advocate, somebody exactly like me, it was for the purpose of the preservation of who you are in him so that when he sees you again at the resurrection, you will be whole in him. See, it's not just good enough to walk through wondering. You don't have to wonder. This is what the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is the attribute of the Trinity that leaves us in a place where we don't have to wonder. And only by this encounter can you have that kind of assurance. Listen, I know I'm loved because the Spirit that lives inside of me is connected to the Father And the father just can't help himself. He's full of love, so love lives inside of me. And when this thing started happening, uh, Tammy would look at me. I'd be driving. She's like, what's going on? I said, I don't know. I don't have any idea. She said, oh, just God's just touching you. Let him touch you. And I said, well, if he touches me much longer, I'm going to have to pull over. And you're going to then pull over. See, love lives inside of you. And what does perfect love do? It casts out all fear. And so when perfect love is living inside of you, we walk in wholeness. So that's why a guy can get on an airplane when fear has consumed him because perfect love has overwhelmed that fear. See, there's a trust factor And that was my whole theme in Africa in September was trust. We've got to trust God. We've got to trust in who he is. We've got to trust in what he says. We have to trust in our ability, not because of who we see in the mirror, but because of whose we are. In John chapter 7, oh man, I am so excited to preach today. And in John chapter 7 and verse 2, it says, Now the Jews' Feast of Tabernacle was at hand. Every year there was a Feast of Tabernacle. And it, and it got, uh, uh, brought people from all over to celebrate what the Feast of the Tabernacle stood for. And I'm going to tell you that. His brothers therefore said to him, Depart from here, go into Judea, that your disciples may see the works of, that you are doing. For no one knows anything in secret except he himself who seeks to know, uh, be known openly. And if you do these things, show yourself to the world. Now, this in verse 5 is, is interesting because it says, For even his brothers did not believe in him. Now, that changed in Acts chapter 1.14. His brothers were there praying with all the people who were gathered to receive the baptism of the Spirit. But you know how brothers can be. Man, I'm lucky that I have a brother that was never like that. And I got the best big brother in the entire world. Then Jesus said to them, love you, Greg. 
Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its uh, works are evil. You go up to this feast. I'm not yet, I'm not yet going up to the feast for my name, or for my time has not yet fully come. And when he had said these things to them, he remained in Galilee. Now look at verse 10. But when his brothers had gone up, then he went up to the feast, not openly, but as it were in secret. Okay, so why did Jesus do that? Because every place he was turning, somebody was trying to kill him. So he, he had to use some wisdom. And so he was at the feast this whole time. And while he's here, there are rumblings about who he is because this is a spiritual occurrence. People are hearing what he has done. And so they're murmuring about him all over the place. And I, I don't want to get into the murmuring, but that's verses 12 to about 25 or 28. You need to look at that for yourself. But what was happening was is Jesus was at this feast and he was going to make an amazing announcement on the last day of the feast. He was going to steal the show at the last part of this feast. Now, let me just tell you a little bit about uh, uh, this Feast of Tabernacles. Okay, this feast, this feast took place six months before Jesus' crucifixion. The feast itself was an annual feast that celebrated or commemorated the Israelites' journey through the wilderness after their release of bondage in Egypt. This was about their time in the wilderness. Many came to Jerusalem to be a part of this celebration. Listen, part of the ceremony, part of uh, what uh, made this ceremony amazing was is they honored the supernatural things that happened in the wilderness. One of the things that they honored was that, that God provided water for them at different parts when there was no water in the wilderness. So symbolically, what they would do at the last day of this ceremony was there was a great water pouring ceremony that reminded Israel of God's supernatural provision of water in the, in the desert. Rabbinical writings tell us that the priests used huge urns from which they poured out the water from the top of the temple that ran down the steps of the temple. This was a very dramatic moment when the water splashed and cascaded down the steps as the Jewish people lifted up praise and shouts of, of adulation to God and they rejoiced during this time because it was like the culmination it was like the fourth quarter of the celebration and they crossed the goal line. They were winning. It was a reminder that they won the game. And at this moment, Jesus stood in verse 37 on the last day. It says that great day of the feast. Jesus stood and cried out. When the Bible says that Jesus stood and cried out, he was not just saying, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. You know, every place that I go and I'm performing a, a, a service, a funeral or some kind of meal, when nobody can get the place in order, they say, Pastor, could you just do your thing like say, you know, hey, excuse me, everybody, excuse me. 
Okay, it's time for us to bring the, everybody come in for the, they, they call on me to do that. It's like, this is your party, why don't you yell? All because, Pastor, you have the anointing to yell and bring people in. This is kind of the same thing. Jesus had the anointing on him on the last day, the great day of the feast. Jesus stood and cried out saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, out of the heart will flow rivers of living water. And then in verse 39, John culminates what this meant. Now remember, you have to understand that where he was at, what was going on, what was happening at the time. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was what? Read that out loud. Not yet given. Because Jesus was not yet glorified. Okay, so we're in John chapter 7, and Jesus is proclaiming what's going to happen in the future. John 14 proclaims, with you, in you. 16 says, guide you, lead you. So it is going to happen. Now, at this point, when the Spirit comes on you, turn with me back to John chapter 4. I'm going to blow your mind here. Turn with me back to John chapter 4. One of the greatest arguments always about the Holy Spirit is, is it is not a separate experience. It, it, I, I can read to people that John the Baptist said, I baptize in water, but one will come after me who will baptize with what? The Holy Spirit. Two separate baptisms. Jesus is saying in John 7 that when the Holy Spirit comes... Out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, he's at the place where he's the, 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 the Samaritan woman meets him at the well. Verse 7, a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. <laughs> ah, excuse me. Residuals of love. In verse 9, then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. I was not going to read all this, but we're talking about Caleb got up and gave an exhortation on love that was amazing. And I gave uh, uh, an example, a testimony of how love transformed Royal's life. And this is an excerpt of how love transformed a tremendous sinner's life. How is it, she's saying. Number one, she came in the middle of the day. Why? Because she's got a horrible reputation. And she was coming in the heat of the day when nobody wants to come to the well. And who was there in the heat of the day? Why? Because Jesus did whatever it took to touch people's lives. You can look Time and time and time and time and time again, Jesus was so concerned with the one life. So concerned with the one life. And Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, 
You would have asked him, and he would have given you what again? Living water. Okay, hang in here. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then are you going to get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well? Isn't it interesting? This, this girl was a sinner, and she knew about the well of Jacob, didn't she? How many of you realize that a lot of sinners, that they're aware of Jesus? But you know what the enemy does? He keeps separating them. Oh, you're so bad. Oh, you can never come to Christ. Oh, I want to invite you to our church. Oh, maybe when I get it together, I get it. See, that's the enemy. And where was Jesus? Right in the midst of it. Mm, he is my Savior. I love him. Every, the more I read about him, the more I fall in love with him. Jesus answered, whoever drinks this water will never thirst again. 14, but whoever drinks of this water I shall give him will never thirst. Now listen, but the water I shall give him will become a what? A fountain. A fountain. Not a river. A fountain of water springing up into what? Everlasting life. This is a salvation experience. Jesus is saying, whoever comes to me, I will give you living water. And this will spring up as a fountain inside of you, and it will bring you everlasting life. Two separate encounters. One that brings you to everlasting life, brings you to salvation. The other one points to the infilling of you. You will not be a fountain. Now you will be a river. It's incredible how when we look at how the scriptures tie all of this together, how critical and important it is to see that. Now, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And I want to I say something. Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I think it is, 2 or 3, the apostle Paul is talking to the church in Corinth. And he says the same thing to them, but it has a different meaning. Okay, in verse 17 of chapter 6, it says, But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Now listen, or do you not know that your body is a temple... Of the Holy Spirit. Who is what? In you. Now, look at the verbiage change here. It, was, it used to be the Holy Spirit that would be with you and soon would be in you. This is post-resurrection. And so the Apostle Paul, who has been blasted in his encounter in Acts chapter 9. I don't have enough time to go into all this. But if I'm you, I'm writing down... Acts chapter 9 right now in your notes so that you can do your own homework with this. The Apostle Paul, is, who, who was touched by God and blasted by the Holy Spirit. I know all you all say, God is a gentleman. He would never do that. Well, he blinded the Apostle Paul, knocked him down on the road to Damascus. That's not very gentlemanly. <laughs> I know you all got this concept. God can do whatever he wants to do. 
Don't put him in your box because that's the way you want him to be for you. Oh, he's gentle. So when I confess my sin, he's not going to do the Apostle Paul thing to me. So in, in 19, or do you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have from who? God. And you're not your own. You were what? Bought with a what? Price. There's John chapter 4. You were bought with a price. And that living water that lived in you is, that, is unto salvation. Uh, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And before he talks about the body being a temple, he's talking about the church to the church in Corinth. That they're not to live like they used to live in the way that society lived. Now they're to be a church that demonstrates the things of God. And in here, it's the individual person that he says, your body is a temple, not for just anything. It's a temple, let me see, of the Holy Spirit who is in you. The Holy Spirit who is in you. Your body is that temple. So out of that temple is to flow rivers of living water. That's what the Holy Spirit was designed to do. It was designed to bring us to a place where living water came out of us. Turn with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 1, just real briefly. I'm going to uh, hop over a scripture here. I'm going to tell you that we've, we are life-flowing bodies. We are to be rivers of life. We used to sing a song in the old days here. I got a river of life out of me. It what makes the lame to walk and the blind to see. Opens prison doors, sets the captives free. I got a river of life flowing out of me. Spring up a well. Okay, that's good. That's what that song is all about. We got a river of life that flows in us for the purpose of doing kingdom business. And kingdom business is amazing business. So in Acts chapter, is it okay to be this happy this morning? Hallelujah. Woo! Acts chapter 1 verse 7. Uh, or let's go to verse 6. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They still want his kingdom that they hoped he would build on earth. Listen to what Jesus said. He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. Now watch how he transitions. Everybody say, but. This is what he says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be what? Witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We are rivers of life to people who don't know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And if you thought the baptism of the Holy Spirit was just about falling down and getting back up, falling down and getting back up, I'm not opposed to falling down and having an encounter with God. I've had many. But when you get back up, you ought to be changed when you have that encounter. And I can't change the scripture. The very first 
thing that the book of Acts talks about is that we are to be rivers of life in our witness to other people. Listen, when there's somebody in your sphere of influence who does not know Jesus, you are there to tell them about him. And then the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you will do everything that needs to be done to draw them to the place that they have a confrontation with who he is. See, the only thing that the Holy Spirit does for non-believers is he is a convictor of sin. That's not your job. That's not your job to do this to people. Your job is to do this. And he will do that. And when he does that... They need this. You see what I'm saying? Am I making this too simple? But we are called to be witnesses. A river of life that flows through us to be the witnesses of God. Turn with me to John chapter 15. We're going to do a lot of scripture flipping. John chapter 15. Let's look at verses 26 and 27. In 26 it says, When the Helper comes who I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, which proceeds from the Father, he will what? Testify of me. And in verse 27, and you will what? Also bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. I love the scripture that says, blessed are those who knew me but blessed are, and saw me, but blessed are those who never saw me, but yet they have faith to believe in me. Do you realize that you are in a more unbelievable place than the people in the Old Testament and those before the time of Jesus' resurrection that got to see all that, but now we didn't see it, but we believe, and he says, more blessed are we than those? I'm telling you, sometimes you got to get your house in order. you got to get your mind wrapped around these things. You know, the greatest distance between salvation and power is the nine and a half inches from your brain to your heart. Did anybody get that? Understanding it here, but receiving it here. Because it's not enough. I understood it here for about two years. But it never was two plus two equaled four. And so I couldn't get it to here. So one day I'm standing here and somebody's praying down there and I'm getting ready to battle this guy physically like you're not pushing me and God just blasts me. Why? Because he knew two plus two would never equal five for me. You know what I mean? And what I'm saying is I'm not talking new math. All y'all, you people are like, what math? He went to Reynoldsburg. No wonder he went to Reynoldsburg. That's why two plus two equals five. I got a great education at Reynoldsburg, but I got a better education at Redeemer Church. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, something dramatic always happens to you. Now, turn with me to Acts chapter two, because now we're making this, we're we're drawing this into you. If I haven't done that yet, I want to draw this into you. In Acts chapter two, verse 17... This is, or let's start in verse 14. This is Peter in verse 14, standing up with the 11. He raised his voice and said to them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. He is making a declaration to all of Judea and Jerusalem. What did he just do before 
before Jesus was crucified. These exact same people, he denied even knowing Jesus. Is that not true? What has changed in Peter from the time of Acts 2.14 until the three times that he denied Jesus? What changed in him? Uh, are you sure? I hear a couple of people kind of saying, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. What, what is the one encounter that he had that changed him to this point? It was being in the upper room when the Holy Spirit fell upon them. See, what happens to you personally when you really have an encounter with the Holy Spirit is, is he brings you past all of your past failures into a new place of who you are to prepare you for your future destiny. And you are not the same. I was never the same once that day happened when the Holy Spirit came upon me. The word was different. Life was different. Everything was different at that point. And I had a goal. And it was to see people get saved. Now, when Peter says, standing with the eleven, he raised his voice and he said to them, men of Israel and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these men are not drunk as you suppose. It's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And then that is, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on half the flesh. Just, wait a minute, I will pour out my spirit upon all the men. No? Let me read that. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. I mean, we are now disrupting tradition to, to the nth degree. Men are going to get it. Women are going to get it. Jews are going to have the opportunity. And Gentiles are going to get it as well. There is the, 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 listen, the infilling of the Holy Spirit changed everything. Everything. Even into the place of Acts chapter 10, when the connector was made be, between Cornelius and Peter, and then it led to his entire family getting saved. And then before they could take them to get water baptized, the Bible says that they got filled with the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts chapter 11, Peter had a lot of explaining to do. How in the world did you get mixed up with these Gentiles? And how do they have the same thing we've had? Nothing is more, listen to me, nothing is more transformational in a believer's life than the infilling of the Holy Spirit. I, I know salvation's a big do. I get it, and I'm glad that I said yes. But that was only a fountain of life. Do you guys understand Jesus is perfectly secure in who he is? And he knew that this same spirit that filled him, it would be the same spirit that we would need to bring the church home in the future. Why do you think the church has lasted all these years? Because the spirit of God was poured out in the book of Acts and it is what secures us to this day. But it has, I, I mean, I feel like I'm preaching to Ian today. Somebody help me here. I know it's 1139. I'm aware of that. 
But I'm telling you, this message is important today. We are rivers of life. And in, listen to what it says now in 33, verse 33. He, well, go to 32. This Jesus God raised up from the dead, he raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, having received from the promise of the Father the Holy Spirit, what did he do? He poured out this which you now see and hear. It's even a reference of, of pouring out. I'm not going to pour out this. But it's the same thing. The references of that water, that life being poured out. Hmm. So good. Turn with me, if you would, to Mark chapter 16. Mark 16. When you're there, tell me you're there. Mark chapter 16. You already were there, huh? I love it. Oh, it's already there. <laughs> wow, Corinne, look at you. You're, go, you're, getting, you're getting it up there. Uh, we are to be rivers of ministry and boldness. Rivers of ministry and boldness. Mark chapter 16, uh, what did I say? Verse 17. Uh, then some of the disciples said among themselves, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me, and a little while, and, and a little while you will see me because I go to the Father. Oh, this isn't the scripture I want. Oh, that's because I'm in John 16. Hello. See, you guys shook me with love today, and I've lost my mind. Mark 16, 17. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, and they will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. We are called to be vessels of ministry. Turn with me to Acts 4.31. Acts 4.31. Ministry, uh, or, or to be vessels of ministry. And then it says in verse 4.31 of Acts, And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were what? All filled with the Holy Spirit. And then what happened? And they spoke the word of God with what? Boldness. Listen, there is something that happens to you when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. It removes that timidity of who you are and it allows you to walk in boldness. I know what some of you are saying, Pastor, I don't have your gregarious, uh, sanguine, uh, choleric spirit where you can just feel like, you, this, look, it, Tammy will tell you, when she met me in seventh grade, I was not this gregarious guy. I was this little timid, shy, bashful person. But then the Holy Spirit came upon me. And that's what changes you because you begin to know when you operate in the Spirit, something happens to you. The word boldness there means outspoken, unreserved, freedom of speech, with frankness, candor, and cheerful courage. The opposite of cowardice and timidity or fear. Listen, church. We are filled with the Spirit, filled with that spirit of boldness to do what God has called us to do. I'm going to touch on a couple things, and then I'm going to finish. One of the things that we are, we are people that have a river of giftings. First uh, Corinthians 12, 7 through 11. I want you to write that down. 
I'm not going to go into that, but there are the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit that flow in and through us. When we are bold, he allows us to use every one of them. Okay, so there's the, a river of gifts. The, the next thing is a river of intercession. We are a river of intercession. Romans 8, I want you to turn there real briefly. Romans 8, 26 and 27 says this. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. How many of y'all are glad to hear that? Come on, somebody. I'm happy to know that. Listen, when I am on my last nerve in Burundi, and I have been up for 20 straight days, I am weak, very weak. But when I wake up, somehow, someway, God empowers me through my weakness to keep going. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For we don't even know how we should pray. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is. This is 1 Corinthians 2 stuff. For he who searches the hearts knows the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to his will. There is never a time that I I don't open up my prayer times when I'm in my personal prayer time where I just begin to pray in the Spirit. I just pray in the Spirit. And then what happens is, as I'm praying in the Spirit, God brings this thing to my attention. He brings this thing to my attention. He brings this thing to my attention. It might be things that I'm going to text five or six people with. It might be things that I didn't know about a particular person and I'm going to pray into those. I'm going to intercede for them. It might be something about myself or my family that the Holy Spirit's trying to do. But this is what happens when I begin to pray in the Spirit. That the Spirit produces these things in me that God would want to have done. Okay, the next one is rivers of fruitfulness. We have, to, we have to know that God produces rivers of fruitfulness. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. These are the fruits of the Spirit. And the Bible says against these, there is no, nothing that can come against the fruits of the Spirit. That you can't legislate or bring laws against the good things of the Spirit. Okay, so that's the, the rivers of fruitfulness. Now this is the last one and I'm going to ask you to turn there. Rivers of Revelation, Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. This this is amazing. And I'm going to tell you, Ephesians 1, verses 15 through 23, write that down. And Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 21. Those texts of scriptures led me to one of the deepest changes of my life. Those particular scriptures. Now... What does Ephesians 1 uh, have to say? Let's look at verse 15. Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, did not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Love that. The Apostle Paul is praying for those people that he has been in contact with. You are to pray for the people that you have been in contact with. And a lot of times the Holy Spirit will bring to mind and mention. I take pictures of every graduating class that I have, every leader that we have, and at times I go through my photos and I begin to pray for those particular people that we have had an impact and influence over. 
okay, that, listen, what are you praying? That God, the God of our Lord Jesus, the Father of glory, he may give to you in the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, keep going, verse 18, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you would know what is the hope of his calling. You can know what God's leading you to do. And that comes in the spirit of wisdom and revelation, bringing knowledge of who he is to you. People ask me all the time, Pastor, I don't know my calling. Pray. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you. This is what he says. That he'll, he'll, he'll show you this. He'll give you that wisdom and revelation. But what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? Toward who? Us who believe. Yeah. Somebody look at your neighbor and tell him it's to you. It's to you. According to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all and all. There is nothing that escapes him. There is nothing that moves about around him that he's not aware of. There's no principality or power that can deter you. Why? And this is the last thing I'll tell you. This is why. Because the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, it lives in you. Would you stand with me? Hallelujah. Come on, somebody give the Lord a praise. Woo! You know, I'm afraid the body of Christ is missing this. I really am. I'm afraid, and when Pastor Caleb said, I want to preach 93 weeks in the fall about the Holy Spirit, I thought, don't you think three to four might do? And it's like, he is so right. It's not enough because we cannot lose this concept. We've got to make sure the next generation knows it and the generation after that is aware as well. This cannot be a missing ingredient in the body of Christ. You are all so loved by God that he's made you a temple for his Holy Spirit to dwell in. I don't know about you, but I haven't been able to wipe the smile off my face since I found that out. Lord Jesus, Father, you know it's our heart at Redeemer's Church to be a church that walks and talks and looks like you. That we are people... I'm telling you from day one, Lord, when I heard Pastor Willard preach, I knew there was something different about this place. I knew that I was being taught by a man who had had an encounter with you. And what he was teaching, he was pouring out like living water unto the congregation. And I am so glad that I got soaked in that river. And Father, all these years later, it's still who we are. We have not turned our back on you. 
We have not turned our face away from you. We have not said we're going to do our own thing and be this and that because everybody's this and that or the other. But we said, no, we're going to stay true to your word. And Father, today is my heart that everybody this week has a fresh encounter with the Holy Spirit that's inside of them. Holy Spirit, that you would bring revelation of who you are inside of us. That you would pour out liquid love upon all these people. That you would speak on an audible voice reminding each of us of who you are and whose we are. So Father, today, I know that if your spirit is inside of us, you can heal the broken heart. You can bind up the wound. You can release the captives. You can bring freedom because that's who you are. I know that. Help us to be able to tap into the fullness of your spirit and to be people who walk victoriously. Father, I thank you that your word says that we can have exceedingly and abundantly more than we can ever imagine. Help us to break the chain of the lies of the society that we live in. We are not second-class citizens. We were bought with a price. We can stand and make an impact for you. And Father, today we pray against every horde of hell that comes against Israel and tries to deter your people being about your business. You love Israel. You love the Jews. And all of these demonic forces that are coming against her right now. Father, let there be a supernatural grace that comes upon the nation of Israel to stand and know you are with them. Father, and we thank you for this great nation who has sent out more missionaries across the world than any of the rest of the people combined. Father, I hear all of the testimonies of the lives that have been transformed by missionaries that have came out of this nation. Bring us to our knees in repentance of where we have gone to the left or right. And Father, help this group of people, right? Because we can only be responsible for ourselves, God. Help us to walk in that boldness of Acts 4.31. Boldly proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. And Father, we thank you for this hour. I thank you for every person who has played a role today to make each of our lives even better than when we came in. And so, Father, I pray that in this week that a group of divine appointments would hit this group of people. People would be saved. Testimonies of healings would occur. Father, we are not shrinking back to perdition. We are moving forward to the saving of souls. And so, Father, today it's with great adoration of the one I love and who loves me that I conclude this time of delving into your word because your word is life-changing, never returns void. 
and always makes an impact. Let us be rivers of living water in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. We hope you were challenged, encouraged, and inspired as you listened to this teaching from God's Word. For more messages or information about our church, please go to www.redeemers.life.